Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Alexis the midwife. And I'm Becky the doula. Welcome to Notes from the Mother Box, where we will be having real and frank conversations about the highs and lows of the parenting journey. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and follow us over on Instagram. We are delighted that we have a fantastic partnership this season with Sophie Le Giraffe, especially because this year is Sophie's 60th birthday. And we have some exciting things lined up in Sophie's honour across this season, including a special birthday celebration episode. 60 years is incredible, isn't it, Becky? And I wonder who actually came up with the idea of making Sophie Le Giraffe in the first place. Actually, Lex, I know this. I read it was Monsieur Rampeau who was an expert at transforming latex from the heavy tree into a rubber mould, which he designed to be the shape of a giraffe. That's absolutely genius. If you want to see the full range of Sophie Le Giraffe products, head on over to sophielegiraffe.co.uk. So pop the kettle on, pour yourself a cuppa, get comfy and enjoy this week's episode of Notes from the Motherbox. Today we are so excited to be joined by the utterly gorgeous Alison Perry. (laughs) Alison is a mother, an Instagrammer, host of the fabulous Not Another Mummy podcast and author. Alison, thank you so much for joining us today. We can't wait to have this chat. Welcome to Notes from the Motherbox. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat to you guys. You two are like two of my favourite people in the whole mum world. I just oh, love what you guys do. That's so lovely. <laughs> well, same goes for podcasting because talking of your podcast, when did you set that up? Because you're like one of the OG podcasters, aren't you? I like to think so, yes. It was um, 2017 and I was getting really into podcasts myself and I was listening to things like Emma Gannon's podcast, Control All Delete um, and The Scummy Mummies. And yeah. um, I just loved the whole kind of like interview format. And I thought that apart from The Scummy Mummies, which was, you know, going great guns by then, there was there was nothing else in the parenting world and obviously what they do is very funny and it's very it's useful and it's helpful but it's you mostly go to them for for a laugh for a giggle um and I just thought you know what we need something we need something you know um where it's you know listening to frank conversations like you said in your introduction so yes here we are three and a half years on I think it was August 2017 I launched it um, amazing and yeah it's yeah it is it's it's brilliant I, I've had so many amazing conversations with with fantastic people you have I, actually 
obviously not at the moment because I can't do it and all of my classes are over Zoom. But in previous times when I used to drive up from Brighton to London for teaching, teaching antenatal classes, hypnobirthing, those sorts of things, I used to absolutely love it like getting out one of the either a true crime or a parenting or a birth podcast and a lo- I like a long one as well for the journey so a good you know 45 to 60 minute podcast episode driving up and really getting into it like digging deep and going into these stories yeah. I find I love hearing about people and like their yeah. experiences and life and what it is yeah. to be human all of those things and so often you just get a little nugget out of um of a podcast you'll just, you'll just hear one yeah. thing and it will just stay with you for the rest of the day. And you think, oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this differently or I'm yeah, going to approach that problem differently or whatever it is. It's, you yeah. know, I love it. We would love to hear a little bit about your pregnancies and your births, if that's okay with you. Because, you know, as a doula and a midwife, that's we our bag. That's definitely our jam. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so could you tell us a little bit about, I know there were two quite different experiences. Yeah. So first time round, so 2010, I had my eldest. She's now 10 years old. And I think it was just that classic thing of going into it completely unprepared and Mm. unaware of what was ahead. And I think kind of what has inspired so much of the writing that I've done in the last 10 years and, you know, starting my blog and my podcast and writing a book I really felt at that time, age, I don't know, 31 as I was, I think back then, I just felt completely blindsided. I felt, you know, like for the first time in my life, I, I guess probably since leaving uni and starting a job, which at that point was just like, whoa, what am I doing? Like, how does this work? It was the first time since then that I'd really felt like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I think it's just really hard, isn't it? Because you know at that point in so many of our lives we're used to we know what we're doing we know how the world works we think of ourselves as being kind of like we're grown-ups and we can handle things and we've we're experienced Mm. and all of a sudden Mm. you're kind of like back to square one you don't know what you're doing here um so yeah pregnancy both of my pregnancies have been smooth thankfully uh, no real issues um so yeah first time around smooth pregnancy the birth, my, my, the birth of my eldest, when you kind of look at like the the notes that the, the midwives were taking, it all seems really textbook, really normal. Mm. But to me, it felt like the least normal thing I'd ever been through. And it's only kind of in more recent years that I've recognised that it had it left me pretty traumatised. Mm-hmm. And it really had a lasting effect on me. And I think that kind of goes to show that you don't have to have a traumatic birth in inverted commas to feel traumatised by it because we're all different, right? And we all all have different thresholds of emotional and physical pain. Yeah. So I found that really, really hard and that had a real lasting effect on me to the point where I had postnatal depression. Yeah. And then the effect that that had on me was that for about three or four years after having my daughter, I wasn't sure whether I could have any more children. I really Mm. wanted more children. And I had this constant internal battle. I'd I'd be walking along, pushing my daughter in her buggy, feeling like this, like, turmoil inside of, Mm. like, what should I do? I I don't know if I'm strong enough to go through this again. And... About three, four years after, you know, she was, when she was about three or four years old, 
my husband and I were talking about it and we were like, come on, come on, we can do this. We can, you know, come on, we can do it. And um, so we decided to start trying for another baby, which then led on to realising that I was suffering from secondary infertility. And I then had five years of trying for another baby and having treatment and eventually had two rounds of IVF, which resulted in two babies. (laughs) So I then was (laughs) pregnant with my twins and that pregnancy was really super smooth from a, like a the potential that twin pregnancies can have like you know yeah there are so many potential issues and problems and you're more likely to suffer from so many of the kind of pregnancy conditions mm. one of the reasons that i think i was so reassured bizarrely was that very early on kind of 12 well, at my 12 week scan when they discovered that it was twins, they told me that they were identical twins and that they were sharing a placenta and that they're obviously, well, not obviously, but as you guys might know, with twins sharing a placenta, there was a risk for mm-hmm. twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome where the one baby steals the blood from the other mm-hmm. so one gets too much one doesn't get enough and it's dangerous for both babies and yeah. for the mother and that's you know quite common with those sort of pregnancies so I had to have a scan every two weeks through my pregnancy to make sure that that wasn't happening and it was fine all the way through the pregnancy I was there kind of like hot summer's day lugging my huge pregnant self along for <laughs> scans every two weeks feeling like oh, I'm so exhausted. I really could do without this part. It's the best thing to do for the babies. Everything was fine. And then it's only now looking back that we think, we suspect, we very strongly suspect that I haven't got identical twins and that I think from what I've read, two placentas can sometimes fuse Mm -hmm. and look like one placenta. Um, And so actually I've I've got non-identical twins that had their own placentas. There was never a risk of twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. Um, But actually, it was quite nice to have that reassurance every two weeks of everything's fine, off you pop, you know, everything's okay. And I had a cesarean section. So my the the birth first time round was a a vaginal birth. Second time round was a cesarean on the advice of, of the medical team. And for me, that was the best thing, totally the best thing, because having felt traumatised by my first birth, I just felt like I needed it to be different Mm. somehow. I just didn't want anything to be like triggering, even though I knew that I could go to loads of antenatal sessions and hypnobirthing and really kind of tackle my fears and all of that stuff. I knew that if it was if it was just going to be different and there was nothing triggering, that was the best thing for me. Mm. Um, and it totally was. And it was a really smooth cesarean birth. And it was kind of weird just because I, I'd never experienced it before. So having, you know, like the spinal block and all of that kind of stuff, which I'd, n- I'd never had before, but it was, it was the best that it could have been. It was, it was great in that respect. Sorry, I feel like I'm just... No, it's good. It's fantastic. And I think it's really important, actually, going back to your point about how, you know, it looked like it was textbook. Mm. So already we're trying to make excuses for our own feelings. So I shouldn't have necessarily felt this way, but I did. And that was what was true for me. And I think 
we've, we've talked about this a lot, don't we, Becky? And we've spoken about it mm. over the years when it comes to empowering and, and traumatic birth experiences that it, it's not what it looks like. It's not what the girl in the bay next door had. It's not what your friend experienced. It's what feels right and, and true for you. And I think it can go either way. It can It can look textbook and it can be traumatic. It can look on paper like there was loads of medical intervention when it wasn't what you wanted but it can feel empowering and so it's it's just such a personal experience and I think whatever you feel inside it's just you and your unique circumstances did you get some support and do some debriefing after the first birth out of interest um you're gonna roll your eyes at me um I (laughs) I got support and I had a debrief when I was pregnant for the second time that's actually quite common that's really common because it doesn't really bite you on the bum until you're about to do it again and also I think and this is why I think it's really important to have these conversations I think if we don't talk enough about the fact that it's not necessarily how your birth plays out is how you feel afterwards lots of people don't feel that they could because they don't think it's traumatic enough you know we Mm -hmm. we feel like we don't fit into that bracket of being enough like you know it wasn't traumatic enough to access help whereas actually anybody can ask for a debrief and anybody can kind of access the support because it's how you feel so and isn't it funny that we are so wired that we compare even the minutiae details of our everything from pregnancy what our birth ended up looking like and certainly and hugely noted postnatally women are quite surprised often at how they there's that you know that natural well but I shouldn't be feeling that way because my baby sleeps four hours and theirs only sleeps two hours and they feel like they've got more energy than I have and I was reading something the other day actually that was talking about this comparison trap that we get ourselves into sometimes and thinking about how we should and shouldn't feel has has got a lot to do with just evolution and you know wanting to be the strongest and best we can possibly be to to Uh, live this long healthy full life I don't I don't know what the you know I don't know the all the evidence behind that but I think it does make sense because why do we constantly seek out confirmation from other people to justify the way that we're feeling it should just the buck should just stop with us and what feels real in, in in whatever experience we're having. And there's so many layers, aren't there? There's, you know, when I work with women in the clinic with postnatal depression, it's it's a bit about birth, but it's also a hell of a lot about their past and the environment that they're in now and, and you know, things maybe that happened in childhood. It's, it's never just one thing, you know, we're so layered. So in that sense, it almost seems ridiculous to compare yourself with someone else because you'll never have the same story or the same experience and all the things that led you, you know, have Having, having an infertility journey that that puts a hell of a lot more onto something than somebody who just fell pregnant you know without even trying it's, it was all yeah. these things so yeah ah oh, we need to stop comparing ourselves we need to stop comparing <laughs> but it's really hard especially it when is. you know, very just hard. open up social media and it's just there and it's all this yeah. kind of like amazing Absolutely. like you know at the moment it's half term we're, we're recording this on half term and you know you see all these people doing these amazing like craft projects with their kids and I'm like my child like my eldest is like on her her iPad playing Roblox and watching YouTube every now and again I'm like you're right yeah you know it's like that's my reality exactly the same I sometimes I look at you know the person who is out of choice homeschooling 10 children and looking like they are just absolutely winning from the moment they wake up in the morning to the evening and I was like 
maybe is it me or maybe we have different sort of children (laughs) but but my sort of call from 6am in the morning is mummy 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 and I find it really hard not to have five minutes to myself especially during Mm. these times when there isn't a lot we can do for respite right and there's not a lot of support out there to help us out but that we listen we are all so susceptible I think the majority of us are very susceptible to that, you know, comparison, you know, just looking at what the next person's doing and mm. thinking, could I be doing things differently? But we we can only yeah. do what we can do. It's quite freeing when you have teenagers, because at the start of half term, I said to the girls, would, is there anything you'd like to do? You know, they don't want to go out with us anymore because that would be mortifying to be seen with their parents. But I was like, would you like a, do a craft project? Like last half term, we did like tie dyeing sweatshirts. And they just kind of went, oh, mum, why would we? I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> Fine, all right then, as you were, oh, as you were. Just so you know, <laughs> Becky actually loves doing craft with her kids. She would do it all day long. We're just wired slightly differently. I, Alison, just so you know, I also love art. I did art up until A-level. I bloomin' loved it. But I like doing arts and crafts with myself only. <laughs> <laughs> See, what I've learned is to outsource that. So this afternoon, yeah. my uh, my eldest is actually doing an Among Us, which is like a computer game that they're all oh, really I obsessed saw with. That. Yes. Among Us craft session where she's been sent materials to make a keyring and acrylic paints and a canvas, and they're going to paint an Among Us character. Um, and she's really excited. If Obviously, if I'd suggested doing that with her, she wouldn't mm, have been interested. Yeah. True. Back to um, having twins. So one of the biggest questions we always ask ourselves and, and people ask us is, is it easier to have twins the first time round when you don't know any different or the second time round when you've already been a mum once and you've done that transition? I mean, obviously you can only talk from your experience, but what do you think the swings and roundabouts of like having a singleton and then having twins? For me, having twins second time round yeah. felt easier than having one first time round, if that makes okay. sense. Okay. So the kind of the experience and the I've done this before and okay, I'm not kind of as highly strong and worried about everything mm. as I yeah. was first time round, definitely for me cancelled out a lot of the ah, I've got two babies. What do I do mm. with two babies? Do you know what I mean? Like it definitely yeah. cancelled some of that out. But yeah, like you say, I don't know. I've spoken to, you know, a lot of twin mums who don't know any difference. So they're just cracking on. They've got their twins. It's the first time that they've ever experienced motherhood and they're just cracking on. And I've spoken to twin mums who had two, had, you know, had twins mm. and then had a singleton. And having the singleton was just like, this is easy. <laughs> like yeah. we're literally like, this could not be any easier. You know, yeah. what are all these singleton mums complaining about, you know? <laughs> I do think that I try and think about because I was the same as you like the first time round I was so and I knew better I'd worked with loads of mums before I had my own but I got so caught up in this perfection like doing it all right and and so much so that it sucked the joy out of my first experience mm. you know I felt like this tightly wound so spring and that's yeah and it's not my natural nature and so I the second time round I mean I only had one both times but the second time round I just couldn't believe how much more I enjoyed and just like, I loved them the same but I just soaked it up and I enjoyed yeah. watching them mm. and I enjoyed them you know as opposed to just going through the motions and trying to do it all perfectly 
I think, I mean, I don't want to assume anything, but I think we're probably, all three of us were in a situation where we've had all the children that we are planning to have. Yes. And I think that when... Yes, we have. <laughs> absolutely. Affirmative. Well, I didn't want to assume that, but that's the impression I get. Yeah. Um, and I think that there is something so lovely about watching... So my, my twins are kind of coming up for two and a half at the moment and watching them going through each stage knowing that it's the last time that you'll experience that it's nice in that the hard stuff you're like oh thank goodness we don't have to deal with that again you know the teething the you know the sleepless nights um we haven't done potty training yet but when we go through potty training i'll just be like whoa the last time i'll ever have to do that (laughs) but then also just the lovely moments there's something i don't feel sad about watching them do the lovely stuff knowing that it it's the last time it might happen because to me it's just I don't know I kind of savor it more and I'm enjoying yeah. it more yeah, yeah I agree I'm, I agree. I'm exactly the same Alison actually because my youngest is four at the moment I've got three kids as well and um all of those little moments like when he came out of nappies in the daytime then when he came out of nappies in the nighttime as well and when he moved from a cot into a big boy's bed and I knew that that was the last time and I gave my cot away to a friend because I knew I wouldn't be needing it anymore but actually I think for the first couple of years, I always wondered, oh, you know, would I ever want to have another baby again? And I did get these maternal pangs sometimes. Becky knows because I've spoken to her about it loads. We were in the <gasps> thick of setting up the mother box and she was like, I mean, one more. And I was one, like, what are you thinking? More? But I can tell you, <laughs> but do you know what's so funny is that... Um, <laughs> I was having this chat with my husband the other day and I was like, do you remember when we were considering? And I went, he said to me, Lex, we were never considering a fourth. You talked about it a little bit. It was never on my agenda at all. I think, and actually now looking back, I realise I just kind of like, I think as a midwife as well and enjoying, I do love a newborn baby, but I think I just had to come to my own conclusion that actually I love being five which is obviously what we are with our three kids and I really am enjoying all those little moments as they're growing up and the next stages that we've hit now and like you Alison my eldest he's in year five he's going to be 10 this year so we're going into a completely different you know it'll have its challenges it'll have its rewards uh, like period of our lives and I'm quite enjoying just watching all of that unfold and the conversations we can now have because he's like a young man you know he's going into double digits this year and I just I want to be present and in that moment uh, with him for that as well and I find it exciting I really do we want to talk to you a little bit about your gorgeous wonderful new book OMG it's twins I know that this is... Oh, you got it right there. You oh, got look. it. I we love know, the front cover. I know. I do as well. I've been carrying so it around right. like a pet. I've literally been carrying it around, like stroking <laughs> it. So that's why it's here next to me. Listen, <laughs> I kept opening ours and sniffing the pages. You know, that new book oh, smell when you're so like, good. oh. When it drops through. We want to hear... Uh, we want to hear all the detail about this because I know that a few years ago, we saw you, we spoke about this even back then that it was in the pipeline, that you'd been dreaming about this, that writing this book had been in your heart. Can you give us like a little bit more detail as to what it's all about and sort of maybe a couple of top tips from, from the book? So basically, OMG It's Twins is, I guess it's the book that I wish had been around when I was pregnant with with the twins. Mm-hmm. It's basically designed to be like a supportive handhold mm. through the emotional roller coaster that you go through. I mean, with any pregnancy, there is that emotional roller coaster. Yeah. And I think that with twins, more so, there are so many fears and concerns and emotions that kind of go through you when you discover that you're pregnant, when it's sinking in, 
when you're telling people, like the, the reactions that, you know, that people have. Sometimes, you know, those reactions can be negative without, mm. without what, like, oh, double trouble or, you know, things that people just say mm. because they're just repeating cliches, not realizing that it could make you feel a bit like wobbly, a bit like, oh, oh you know. Yeah. So just really kind of like a handhold through the whole experience. And I think that really similarly to your, the books that you guys have written, actually, something I've been thinking about is the fact that in years gone by, possibly when we all first had children round about then, the books that were available were very much like, this is this is what you should do. You're yeah. going to be a mum. This is the plan that you should follow. This is what mm-hmm. you should be thinking and doing. And I remember reading those, you know, quite a few books when I was first pregnant 10, 11 years ago and really feeling kind of like the pressure, like, mm-hmm. okay, I need to... I need to read this book and it almost like it was homework like I need I yeah. really need to get this right you know it's like these huge manuals aren't they and they make you yes. and, and also they they some of it didn't sit with me I was like I don't know that I want to do that but there was almost this pressure that if you didn't do that you weren't doing it the right way you know so yes of and your friends horrible. might be doing it and they were like oh yeah. no we swear by this you definitely need you you have to mm. follow this yeah and I think that now you've got a whole kind of wave of writers um and mothers who recognise that actually there isn't just one way to do this. You know, we're all different. Our babies are all different. And let's just try and support each other to get through this in the way that feels right for us. So I really wanted the book to be that. So hopefully a really supportive, supportive book. Obviously, I've only got my experience. I'm not an expert on twins. I'm a twin mum, but I'm not an expert. So what I really wanted to do was to draw on, you know, the expertise of loads of different people, including your lovely selves, because you are both, (laughs) you have both contributed to the book. Thank you very much. Um, But I have midwives, doulas, um, psychotherapists, nutritionists, women's health experts, like just so many, a whole wealth of people to share their knowledge Mm. i've also got loads of twin mums to tell me their experiences because there's loads that i didn't experience but i really wanted i wanted kind of the majority of twin mums to be able to pick up this book and to feel like something that they have experienced is reflected back and Mm. that there is you know that feeling of like we're in this together don't worry you know we can do this Mm. so that's that in a nutshell that's that's what the book's about I love it and you know what's really nice as well is that actually a a lot of my twin mamas that I get in the clinic say exactly what you said that like they might be really excited about having twins and actually the reaction is often like oh whoa you know and they're like no actually you know and and so it's really nice to have a book that almost celebrates and holds them in that space you know rather than just this constant yeah like people are like wow you know you're sort of I don't know you feel scared they're like it actually makes me feel really wobbly when I'm quite happy about this so yeah and on the flip side of that as well I've got Anna Mather who's an amazing psychotherapist she gives advice in the book where she's basically saying also it's okay if you're not okay with this yeah you know don't try and kind of like squash down those feelings of fear or you know, worry about this, mm. kind of try and sit with it. And, you know, she gives um, advice on drawing a mind map. And there's like, there's really practical tips in this book where it's like, okay, if, if this is how you're feeling, try this, try these things. But it's not a case of 
do this and you will be fixed. You know, it's 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 all very yeah. kind of like, you know, helpful suggestions. Oh, it's exciting. Yeah. I can't wait to read it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. We hope you're enjoying our chat with Alison so far, but now for a little ad break, because Lex and I want to tell you some more about the fabulous Sophie Le Giraffe and why she's so popular with babies all around the world. From the age of three months, Sophie is designed to stimulate each of your little one's senses, the next of which is smell. We all know that babies get inundated with toys when they're born, but it's that singular scent of natural rubber from the heavey tree that makes Sophie the giraffe very special and easy for your child to identify amid all of their other toys. And as the series goes on, we'll be going through all the other senses that make Sophie so special for your little ones, as if we needed more reasons to love her. But right now, let's get back to the second part of our brilliant chat with Alison. Talking of your writing as well, we love your blog posts. Lex and I are often like sharing them between each other. And you did a really gorgeous one recently where you sort of wrote a letter to your new mum self um, Mm. that basically had, we cry a lot anyway, but had us both a bit like, I was like that when I I was writing it. I was was welling up. I was like, why do I do this to myself? It was so good because actually... I remember actually in one of my trainings, we were talking about the self-narrative. You know, I think it was in the postnatal training. We were talking about self-narrative and how it's often very critical and very harsh. And we're not taught to celebrate our achievements as, as mothers, but almost to kind of look at how we need to do better all the time. And what was really lovely is this sort of self-love. And one of the things they said is um, we had this meditation where you had to close your eyes and imagine going back and finding that new mum version of yourself and watching her just just observing her and then they said and what would you what would you say to her and none of it was critical you know when you take yourself out and you look Mm. it was all very loving and like well done and fist bumpy and you know that's obviously that act of writing to yourself achieves the same thing um so what do you think are the main things that you now know about parenting and yourself as a parent that you wish you'd known then the main thing is to ask for I wish I'd asked for help more Mm. I think that you know kind of going back to something that was mentioned earlier I think that so often when you are a first-time mum you're used to being independent Mm. and you know you probably you know had a job where you're just like getting things done and you know and you get appraisals thrown (laughs) yeah and people tell you you're good at what you do <laughs> yeah so you get feedback yeah and then suddenly you're kind of thrown into the situation where you it's really hard you don't know what you're doing you've never done this before like there's no feedback you've basically you're looking after this human being who just you know cries a lot and doesn't really give much back apart from that and you know i think that I I wish I'd asked for more help. I you know mm. I wish I'd said to my mother-in-law. My mum lives like five hundred miles away in Scotland, um, and she did come down and help. But you know I wish that I'd asked people who were kind of nearby, 
I think looking back, I was probably a bit like, well, everyone else is like, it's that, it's that comparison mm, thing. Yeah, everyone else is managing. Yeah, I, I would look around and see like my NCT friends or like local, <clears throat> you know, people I knew who had babies at a similar time, like friends I'd met, you know, pregnancy yoga. And um, I'd be like, well, they're, they're managing okay. So if they're doing okay, then then I just need to crack on. Mm. Um, and looking back, I'm like, no, no, no. Just <laughs> ask Don't for that help, you, you know. It, it will it will help you it will help your yeah. baby it's just so interesting isn't it like what we do to ourselves and what we put ourselves through and again i go back to the brain and how complex it is and how it does seek out negative patterns because it wants mm. to protect us i always whenever i'm teaching my my antenatal class i talk about the health and safety department of the brain yeah. and i think it is wired in fact there's a huge body of evidence to say that it is wired to seek out uh, negative patterns to protect us in all manner of parts of our lives and then obviously feeds that back to us and often that will come back as like negative in a dialogue that we have to either work out whether it's you know justified or whether it's not um, useful or important in any in that given time and I think we have to do the work to change that in a dialogue to change that in a narrative to recognize when there's a lot of of negativity and you know you were saying earlier on about how you'd look at other parents and compare yourself and think, well, why are they coping so well and I'm not? Where does that evidence come from that they're coping so well? It comes from walking past them in the street and seeing them like <laughs> yeah. for two seconds and thinking... Smile. Oh, or, yeah. or that picture on Facebook that they've posted where like they look really yeah. happy. And it's like, well, they're totally managing fine, aren't they? So yeah. then we build the we build the story around the tiniest little bit of evidence that we see and we make it into something that it may be but it may also not be and we are all i believe truly we're all guilty of doing this at different points in our lives we really are so yeah. many times over the years i've had conversations with postnatal women both in an antenatal education capacity as a midwife capacity as a friend where they've said I you know a few months down the line I'm finding this hard I'm clearly not very good at this and it's like no darling it's not that you're not very good at this it's it's about quite a complex amount of things to do with the temperament of your baby whether your baby is one that's sort of very wakeful whether they're one that you know quite enjoys being put in the bouncer and is quite happy and content looking around or whether they've got colic or whether they've got digestive issues or whether feeding's been an easy journey or perhaps it's been a really traumatic journey there are so many intricacies so mm. many details that change a person's experience when they're going through that that postnatal journey so no it's not that you're just not coping, that you weren't made for this, that you're not a very good mum. It is so, so, so much deeper than that. And I think the majority of new parents would say, you know, those first few months, that first six months in particular, is incredible and magical at times, but it's also tough and it's hard and it's tiring alongside. Absolutely. And those two things can coexist. Of course they can. Yeah. I think the other yeah. thing that is really important to talk about is, um, so obviously Lex and I talk about self-care all the time. And as as always happens, I was rubbish at self-care. You know, the only reason we get to do what we do now is because I have unpicked it all in therapy and I've done all my training and kind of, but I remember when Ella was younger and like you say, Alison, Ella's 15 now. So I think Facebook had just about started, but there wasn't this open conversation on social media 
and I remember feeling quite quite done in and um had lots of stuff coming up and I went and had some therapy and we were unpicking like this kind of way that I put myself at the bottom of the list the whole time because that's Mm -hmm. what I kind of felt like you did as a mum and my mum was great but she was a single mum she had her own issues and she worked two jobs you know I never saw her resting and I never saw her taking care of herself so my inner narrative was that as a mother you just did it all the time and you didn't you know and so suddenly the therapist made me reframe it and she said how important is this for you to model to your children they need to see you taking rest they need to see you prioritizing yourself because otherwise this loop just gets repeated and I suddenly thought actually yeah and in a way it almost made it easier for me to prioritize my self-care thinking that I was teaching them to prioritize their own self-care you know so again it's about sort of changing and unpicking these inner narratives that we have about what a parent is even I think also isn't that even interesting in itself that you you have allowed yourself to practice self-care because you've convinced yourself I'm not saying wrongly but because you've convinced yourself that it's a selfless act you know you're doing it for the good of your children yeah you're (laughs) like oh okay if I must (laughs) but do you know what I mean rather than just being actually I need this this is the right thing for me yeah yeah it's again it's again isn't it it's that thing of like almost yeah having to excuse my need for self-care do you know what I mean it's it's so it's so layered I think it's it's, so ingrained do you think that we've got better at this during lockdown because I feel like self-care has been such a huge topic and it's something that we've all almost need to kind of we've almost needed to like reprogram what self-care is to us in lockdown do you think that that we've got better at that during lockdown or do you think that it's something that 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 so many of us are just kind of ignoring and shoving under the carpet for me it's uh, there's a couple of things at play I've got better at recognizing it and I will do something like say to my husband I'm very lucky that he's around and I can do this I'm with the children most of the time in the daytimes to be fair but I will say I need to, when the kids are in bed or perhaps if you can do bedtime, I need to just go and have some quiet time to myself when nobody needs anything from me mm. because I have got so many windows open in my brain at the moment that I feel like there's not much more give. And if I, yeah. because I have suffered with generalised anxiety previously, to, quite acutely actually, and I think that we recognise as a family unit that it can only be pushed so far. And if those little Mm. warning signals come into play, like generally, and this can be for me, because we all know ourselves best, I might find I'm having a day where I'm having quite a lot of palpitations, where I'm feeling like, and I say this to Becky, one of the ways I know that my anxiety is getting the better of me and ramping up is I get a bit confused about things. So I can't Mm. seem to think straight. And um, it won't be severe, but it'll be to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm just getting a bit confused. It feels like all those windows are opened and I need to just have some calm, quiet time just to to focus on on getting that back on track again. And for me, it'll be a bit of mindfulness. I'm a massive, massive believer and user of um, guided relaxation, body scans, affirmations, mantras. I need time where people aren't asking me for things. That has a huge impact on my brain and my sense of, you know, backtracking and and getting that lovely calm rest and digest part of my nervous system back in the driving seat again I will often have Becky knows this I'll have an evening lie-in where I will have a lovely Epsom salts bath 
low lit straight to bed afters for an early night and I will feel like a new woman the next day and I'll be able to get up and go again and I I can because of trial and error of seeing it unfortunately unravel previously I know how to get in there when those little signs start coming coming through so for anyone listening you know yourself better than anybody so if I'm you know getting a bit confused having a few palpitations getting myself in a bit of a feeling very discombobulated basically in a bit of a muddle I know that's anxiety leading and I need to get back in the driving seat again Mm. and so because of that anyway during lockdown I will absolutely when I recognize those things you know increase the amount of self-care I'm giving myself and spend some time working on my mind and my body to get back on track again what about you Becky so good yeah I think same as you I think you know over the years I've realized it's little and often isn't it so it's little acts of self-care rather than just like one day a month so every day I'll try and do something even if it's like five minutes of stretching and breathing before bed and I think making it into a habit I talk to my clinic ladies quite a lot about this like now if I get into bed and I haven't stretched or done sort of five big breaths I feel a bit Mm. funny I don't feel like I can switch off because it's become a habit so forming habits is is a really good way of getting your self-care in and I always say when you're starting tack it on to something you already do so you know when you're brushing your teeth do five minutes of mindfulness or two minutes of mindfulness however long you brush your teeth for you know but just tacking it on to something you instinctively do without questioning is a good way of starting I totally agree can I just add something else as well Mm. if I notice just to be really clear to anybody listening that it was becoming all-consuming and I wasn't able to get myself back in that driving seat it's sort of able to feel like I had some cause over um, how I was feeling I would have absolutely no problems reaching out to a GP and talking through how it's you know how it's working out to me at the moment and that perhaps anxiety is getting in the way of my day-to-day life so just to just to put that out there is something very clear I am incredibly comfortable and confident to have that conversation and I will never feel ashamed to say mental health wise I'm not okay at the moment but fortunately in recent years I've managed to um have cause and control over it myself just through you know knowing myself and and pulling it back before it gets out of control what about you Alison what have you found during lockdown and self-care oh I'm not great at it to be honest in normal times I in the last year or so I've got really good at going to the gym and I'm like I'm Mm. I'm not a person who loves exercise but where I, I almost had this thing switch in my head about a year and a half ago where I it's I, I switched from seeing exercise as being something that I did because I wanted to drop a dress size yeah. or, you know, lose some weight or whatever, um, to actually this is something I need to do for my mental health. Mm, and absolutely. as soon as I did that, it was really weird. As soon as I did that, for the first time in my life, I wanted to exercise. <laughs> And yeah. I started going like three times a week to the, to the gym to do classes, whether it was Pilates or body pump or whatever it was. And I knew that if I went and did a gym class at 10 a.m., it would make the rest of the day feel so much better and that whatever happened in the day, mm. I could handle it. Um, and obviously in lockdown, that's not possible. And last year when we were in lockdown, I was really good at going out for like a daily walk um, it's not it's not as easy when it's you know tipping it down with rain and it's I freezing know. cold and it's windy and you know. yeah Absolutely. so I have not been as good at it but 
my husband and I, he's a stay-at-home dad and he's at home wrangling the twins while I work um, in lockdown. And we're both really good at kind of reminding each other to go out, even if it's Mm. just walk down the road to Costa Coffee and get yourself a cappuccino and then walk back whilst listening to a podcast or something that he's been doing, which I quite like, is he'll get in the car and drive five minutes, get himself a takeaway coffee and sit in the car and listen to podcasts. Um, and for him, that's, you know, that's just something, it's yeah. just him escaping, <laughs> getting out, you know. Alison, it's interesting that you should pick up on the fact that you used to go to the gym so that you could drop a dress size rather than to look after your mental and physical well-being. And we are just awful to ourselves, aren't we? We're so, so critical. And we think about all the wonderful things that our body does for us, all the places it takes us. And yet it's so natural, I think, for many of us to just look at the bits that we don't feel like are right. How did you get to the point where you thought enough is enough and I need to, you know, actively look at my body and recognise all the wonderful things that it does and think more positively about myself? I mean, it's such a process, isn't it? And I think that I spent, you know, 20 years beating myself up, trying to lose weight and feeling like that was the way to go. And I think it's definitely, part of it was definitely becoming a mum. But even first time round, when I became a mum, I, you know, went to buggy fit classes and I was back in the gym quite quite quickly after, you know, like three months after having my baby. And for me, it was definitely about getting back into the, my, my, my pre-pregnancy genes. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't about mental health. It wasn't about well-being. It wasn't about endorphins. And it was a real light bulb moment when I realised that the benefits of exercise really aren't about. And I think, I think for me as well, I would do things like, well, if I'm in the habit of going to the gym or going to an exercise class, I can't then have that cream cake or I can't have that brownie because it will cancel out the good work that I've done in the gym. Mm. So to me, kind of going to the gym and exercising went hand in hand with stopping yourself from doing lovely things like eating something that you really wanted to eat. Yeah. And, and again, kind of fairly recently, I thought, just because I've been to the gym doesn't mean that I can't have that brownie. Like even more so, yeah. like, that's another thing that's going to make my day brilliant is having a cup of tea <laughs> and a brownie because... You know, I deserve to have something nice. And why should I, you know, stop myself from having that? It's been really interesting during this last year, during the pandemic, of seeing my husband day to day because he's been working from home. And he's very athletic. He always has been. We've been together since we were at sick form. So we've been together for over 20 years, known him all of his time. But seeing him day in and day out, he will do the 45 minute cycle ride. He will then also eat the biscuits with his cup of tea. There just isn't the same relationship there of this mm. like, you know, um, setting these really strict boundaries and rules and giving up the little, the small pleasures because he thinks it might have an impact on how he looks physically. He just mm. doesn't have that layer there. We've been bombarded as women. We've been bombarded by this diet culture for you know, since we were kids, I mean, yeah. you know, I watched my mum go on diets. She was on like the Rosemary Connolly hip and thigh diet when I was a teenager. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I that one. you know, or and I would go to the health food shop with her while she was buying these massive Cambridge diets, you know, things. And I, so to me, it was just, it was just normal. Like women yeah. went on diets, whereas men haven't necessarily 
been bombarded by that and they haven't read magazines where they, you know, drop a dress size by Christmas, get into your Christmas party dress, mm. you know, all of that crap. You're just like, it's not, it's kind of not surprising that we yeah. are the way we are because of what culture and what society has told Absolutely. us, the messages that we have been receiving since we mm. since we were kids. I completely yeah. agree. This this real overt story out there and narrative that we owe the world something, we owe the world to look some way and, and behave in, in a certain way has been deeply, deeply ingrained, I think, you know, since mm. way before we were even born. So it's already there as an expectation. How do you then fall into that? And it's really, really hard. really hard to unpick that, I think, that even once you're aware of it, like I catch myself looking in the mirror and think, oh, you know, I've definitely, having, having not been to the gym this lockdown, I've definitely put on weight. But then I have to just catch myself and think, that's okay. It yeah. doesn't matter. Mm. It doesn't affect who I am as a person. It's not that I am now a lazy person and I am bad and, you know, I need to punish myself for having I've probably put mm. on like half a stone or something but I'm just telling myself it will come off gradually like you know when I start going back to the gym my, my clothes will start feeling a bit more comfortable and if it doesn't come off who cares if I'm meant mm, to be yeah. this size forever that's okay you know it, yeah. it really doesn't matter going back to sort of the postnatal thing that's the first thing lots of people talk about, but it's also what you hear lots of other people talking about, you know, oh, I saw her on day five, she was back in her jeans already. And it's this like yeah. congratulatory kind of, yes. and actually when you when you work abroad in other cultures, that they just don't do that. Well, where, where in, in Asia where I was, they just didn't, there were, the focus was on healing the body. So you would bind the tummy, but that was about strengthen. That wasn't about like, you know, getting a tiny waist again. It was about strengthening the muscles and kind of reigniting that muscle memory. And the focus was always on um, like, like strengthening and recovering, not about snapping back and looking a certain way, you know, and, and I, I know we've got it in our book, but I just... I never forget the kind of uh, midwife, the Robotso midwife who was teaching us, who was so, she just couldn't get her head around to the fact that we grow a baby, we have a baby, and then we try to not look like we've had a baby. She's like, what? Why? She just thought it was That's the most confusing thing ever. That's what I love, 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 the poem that your first book starts with, yeah. the Holly McNish poem. Megatron. Oh, yeah. You know, because it just encapsulates so perfect that weird journey that so many of us go on where it's like you know rather than celebrating this amazing thing that your body has done it's trying to eradicate all traces that it's happened totally. yeah it was amazing she um she read that poem for us at our launch party of the mother box and my husband was there i think he was the only man he came to do some av stuff for us and i said did, did you like the poem because he'd heard me rave about it and he said i left the room because the the, the woman power felt really quite scary. <laughs> there's this room of women just like, oh my God, you know, like literally loving every every word that she was saying. And he's like, yeah. I just went round the back. <laughs> <laughs> Probably for the best. <laughs> exactly. So finally, our final question that we always like to ask our guests is, if you could pop a little note inside a mother box heading out to a new mum with your best bit of advice on it, what would it say? I think it would probably say, trust your instinct. Mm. Because it's all well and good, 
you know, asking your friends, you know, oh, what do you think I should do? Or reading books written by you or written by me and, you know, like soaking up all of this, you know, advice. But there is something to be said for just following that gut instinct that you have um, and really listening to that inner voice of yours and trust trusting your instinct rather than mm. just dismissing it and feeling like, well, I don't know what I'm doing, you know. I'll ask somebody else. I yeah. agree totally. I think that's And brilliant. pay attention to that little voice inside, whether it be saying something's not quite right or no, this is okay, you can do it this way, even though your mum told you you shouldn't or anything like that. I think it's, yeah, it's about just becoming aware and listening and paying attention for sure. Yeah, and I always love, Lex, you always say um, in your classes that your baby will be your greatest teacher and I always Absolutely, think that's yeah. that's so true. We learn on the job, right? We're not we're not we're not supposed to know it all. We're supposed to learn as we go. And so actually your instincts come into play there because you're kind of, you know, you're yeah. learning bit by bit. Your baby will be your greatest teacher and you will get a PhD in your baby. Yeah. So you <laughs> become the most expert expert of your own child. Yeah. It's amazing how you do tune in to your your child, isn't it? Like you do yeah. You pick up on so many things that other people would just miss. Just little yeah. tiny cues. It's, it's kind of amazing. Alison, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and coming and chatting with us today. It's been absolutely lovely to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so, so nice to chat. Thanks once again to the gorgeous Alison Perry for joining us today and sharing all her parenting insights with us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to know more about the work we do, Look out for our books, The Little Book of Self-Care for New Mums and The Little Book of Self-Care for Mums-to-Be, where we will talk further about birth, parenthood, relationships and much more. We've really enjoyed this episode and we are so excited to have Sophie Le Giraffe join us. We're sure that you will have your own stories of your bubbers and their love for Sophie and it would be great if you could share them with us. Send us your photos and your stories to our Instagram at Notes from the Motherbox, and don't forget to tag at Sophie Le Giraffe UK on Facebook and Instagram to share your pics with her too. Join us again next week for more chats with another amazing guest. See you next time on Notes from the Motherbox. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.